I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and I'm so excited about today's guest. Today's guest is Mary Sims. Now, Mary helps ambitious attorneys and entrepreneurs with a newsworthy story to embrace their expertise, increase their influence, and grow their business, and most importantly, their revenue through strategic editorial media exposure. Now, it's no secret that everybody has an interesting relationship with the media, but if you're a business, you need to understand how to effectively harness the power of media to tell your story. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you so much for having me, Ty. I'm so glad to be here and talk to you about this issue. Uh, no, no, the pleasure is mine. I remember, um, you know, uh, countering you on Twitter and saying, oh, gosh, I got I to gotta reach out to her because she seems like she's got an, an interesting uh, background. I mean, your bio read, I think, media savvy PR pro, U.S. Army vet, Huffington Post, on from a magazine contributor, and I wanted to know the story behind that. But um, why don't you tell the story to the audience and, and tell us how you got to where you are and, and why you're so awesome? Oh, thank you. Those are such kind words and such high praise. I appreciate it. And I, you know, I don't see it's funny to hear you say that. I, I think I don't see myself like that. I was just passionate as a young person about storytelling. I actually started off at joining the U.S. military shortly after September 11th because I was completely against the invasion of the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I felt like that was the best way that I could use my voice to make a difference, to tell the stories of people in other countries, specifically Afghanistan, that I just felt really compelled to highlight, you know, issues of humanitarian uh, injustices. And at the time, uh, you know, the Taliban were doing, you know, untold horrible things to women. But I just still didn't think that war and the invasion of a country was the way to do that. And was just completely, you know, I remember being young and like 20 years old and just going to these anti-war protests and um, thinking that the best way that I could make a difference was actually to enlist in the U.S. Army as a broadcast journalist or a print journalist. I was open to either option but those were the only two options I was open to enlisting as. Um, 
And at the time, I was actually enrolled in college and also studying. Um, I had secured my financial uh, securities licenses. And so I was a licensed uh, financial advisor doing financial planning in Orange County, which is a pretty cushy area. And so it shocked a lot of people when I said, all right, I'm going to enlist in the military and go to basic training uh, so that I can eventually go to their schooling, go through the Department of Defense's information school, become trained. I wound up, I did uh, get the the billet as a broadcast journalist, and that story kind of evolved from there. I shortly thereafter found myself in Afghanistan covering the war. That's uh, wow, that, that's it's, it's insane. So, what was Afghanistan like when you went there? You know, it was certainly not what I expected. I think as a young person, I always say with the military that if I had known, you know, when I had all these lofty ideals and ambitions and stories I wanted to tell, how difficult it would have been, that I probably would not have done it. So I'm really glad that I didn't know how hard it was going to be uh, because I, I certainly probably wouldn't have, have gone forward. But I'm so glad that I did because I think I developed so much grit and just learned so much about people in other countries about also what the U.S. was doing there and really that there, there it was much bigger than I had seen it from sort of my small perspective, my small worldview at the time, really going there and actually actually integrating into the military. And, you know, I always used to say I was in the military, but not of the military, because my plan was always to serve for a certain amount of time, serve my country, and then get out, but not necessarily have all of my ideals be indoctrinated to match, you know, the army exactly. And and the at the end of the day, though, there was a lot in terms of discipline and, and really just the integrity and morals and, and things that the army stands for uh, that I really was was proud to be a part of and that I learned a lot from and that I took a lot away from. Um, but but yes, it was, you know, being away from my family was, was probably for me the hardest part. There was one time when I was on a helicopter a few years later when I was, I spent a year there first covering the war and had gone back uh, to cover some humanitarian relief after the 2005 Kashmir uh, earthquake in Pakistan. And our helicopter was almost blown out of the sky by a uh, rocket propelled grenade. And I just sort of like shook it off and was like, oh, that was crazy. It's, I was... Um, Again, just really passionate about storytelling. And so if I could get outside the wire to tell stories and we would go out into the communities and meet with people and they would, the civil affairs folks would be building wells or they would be building schools. Um, and so for me, a lot of it, I got to cover the first democratic elections, the first direct elect presidential democratic elections that they had had in more than 50 years and interview women who had risked their lives to go out to the polling sites. And so for me, all of that was just an incredible incredible opportunity to, you know, really witness a culture completely different from my own um, and and serve people in a way that I hadn't had an opportunity to do. I had always been uh, attracted to service. I had always, growing up, uh, my parents served, you know, my dad and my mom both volunteered a lot in the community. We were always involved in service projects, uh, but getting to do it on this different scale was just sort of, um, it was honestly at that time to that point, the most professionally and personally rewarding, fulfilling thing that I had had the opportunity to do. Um, so while it was very difficult on some levels and you made a lot of sacrifices to be away from your family and to be away from, you know, the comforts of home. It was also before, you know, we were, we, I think the, the, the sunken ship, the USS Friendster was, was about as far as advanced as we were when it came to social media at that time. <laughs> and my space was maybe just coming out, but there really wasn't, you know, the military did a good job of trying to keep people have uh, options. So you could have like a 15 minute phone call a day with your loved ones. But there really, at that time, the technology wasn't there to support uh, other than satellite phones. Or, uh, you know, the generals and, and stuff like that. 
it wasn't like it is today where we could have that communication. So that was probably, I would say, one of the, the more challenging things. Uh, but the, you know, the reward, I think, far outweighed that of really actually being able to tell amazing stories of amazing people that were just so resilient and, you know, working through so much adversity, both the soldiers that were there, you know, some at the time, like I said, I didn't have children, but as someone that has kids, I can't imagine being separated from them for a year at a time. And yet I served with many people, one woman who I can vividly remember, she, I think had given birth and then six weeks later, she was deployed because that's the, oh, wow. at the time, the way that policy was written. Yeah. And I just, you know, for me, that breaks my heart. I, I could, I could not have done that. I would not have done that. So, I'm, you know, I think <laughs> things happened for a reason. And I was meant to be there at the time that I was there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just wanted to ask one more question before we start talking about uh, PR and the best ways to, to use our voices. What was the biggest cultural lesson you learned while you were there? I think the biggest cultural lesson that I learned, I think it's it's a couple things. I think ultimately, though, I think it is the big picture is governed by respect. So you may not know, for instance, that Afghan people, Afghani is currency. And if you're talking about people, you're saying Afghans. And you might not know all of the different dialects of Pashtun or Farsi or all of the different cultural sensitivities that exist. But I think at the end of the day, if you approach a culture that you are unfamiliar with, with respect, and your goal is to understand their culture and to communicate in a way where you're showing respect, then I think you can be successful. And I think you can have a successful exchange. I think, unfortunately, sometimes what can happen is that people, if they don't understand something or it's different, then they try to deal with it in a way that isn't respectful. And that's where I think you have a complete breakdown of communication and then you don't have a an excellent exchange. I'll say I was very fortunate um, and one of the things I loved so much about my experience in Afghanistan is that I was part of a, we were on a um, combined joint multinational task force. And so what that meant was that it wasn't just U.S. soldiers in Bagram Airfield, Afghanistan, where I was based, uh, but it was actually soldiers from around the world. And so there was a Polish compound. There was an Egyptian compound. There was actually even a Korean compound. Um, and for me, because I am a foodie and I love <laughs> foods from around the world, I love I love in love with the Afghan food. I had I was actually uh, embedded with 60 Minutes with Laura Logan, and we had the opportunity to be the only women to attend an all male shura meeting. And again, you know, the culturally they don't allow women to attend those meetings. And so again, I approached it from a place of respect. And so for me, what that meant was wearing a head wrap because for those men, it was already a huge setup for them to be allowing me and Laura Logan into the Shura meeting. And so by wearing this head wrap, we were able to show our respect for their beliefs and their culture. Um, and one of my favorite memories of, of that meal was maybe they served this delicious goat stew with basmati rice. And oh my God, I can still like, I think back and I'm like, oh my God, I'm starving for some goat stew. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think uh, when you approach interactions and exchanges with other cultures, you know, had I approached it and said, no, you know, I'm, it's funny because I don't consider myself a feminist. So when I look at my life and how I feel about like empowering women, I guess technically that's the definition of a feminist. So if I had approached it, and I do have um, a, a many friends culturally who that, you know, in the Middle Eastern, uh, one of my best friends is Iranian and her family, uh, because of years of persecution, her grandmother will not allow women in her home to wear the head wrap because that, that's her belief. And so 
it, had I though approached it from coming from where I was in their own in their country and said, "Oh no, I refuse to wear this head wrap," uh, you know, to come to your meeting, then that wouldn't have been, I don't think, approaching that meeting from a place of respect. Um, so I think sometimes that's the, the piece of it that then everything else can get plugged into, right? Because there's a lot of other things when you talk about just uh, cultural awareness and sensitivity and understanding and empathy and exchange. I think there's, there, it's so deep and it's so layered, but ultimately I think the, the one big takeaway that you asked is for me, I think respect. No, I, I love that. And you're so, so right about that. I mean, I think on, on previous episodes, we've talked to now and to a degree about different ways to do that in cross-cultural settings. And you just uh, perfectly highlighted that. And, and uh, I do appreciate you sharing your story with that. Yeah. So let's talk about how important it is to use your voice to make a difference. This is something that you champion. This is something that you're a big proponent of. Uh, but also a lot of people hear phrases like that and think, well, what exactly is my voice? How exactly can I use that to, to make an impact? Uh, can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I think for me, that is everything. And it's interesting because... I have learned that it's important to be intentional in life, and now that's something that I'm conscious of. But early on, when I was 20 and I just didn't agree with the war and I wanted to do this, I didn't. I was. I was doing it sort of unconsciously. I wasn't consciously saying I'm going to use my voice to make a difference. I mean, I guess technically I was um, because it's what I did, but. I, again, I think it's the difference of being conscious of something and unconscious. And so I do think that we do, we all have an imperative to speak up, to say something if we see something that is unjust. As I've gotten older and, and been doing this for a lot longer, I've become conscious, one, and then I've understood the importance of actually being intentional about using your voice to make a difference. And I've actually made that part of my own leadership philosophy. And I think that's something that's so key that I think whether you're a business owner or you're a thought leader or an influencer or you're in government, I think in leadership, we, we must develop a leadership philosophy and we must have an intentional purpose and be conscious of, of what that is and then understand how that makes a positive impact on the world. And I think in many cases, too, for business owners, you know, speaking out and, and using your voice to make a difference for them, it also can make a positive impact on their bottom line. Mm. So I think you, know, you don't do it from a place of, of necessarily uh, looking at it from a from the monetary reward. But but it is important. I think it's so important so that we continue to see positive improvements in our society that that thought leadership, you know, is something um, that that is embraced. And, you know, one one model that I love, too, are the TED Talks. I think that the, the TED Talks and just the, the concept of talking and you literally using your voice from the stage to make a difference is so it's so huge. Um, and, and then the whole, you know, intentionality thing. I think another another one of my heroes is Oprah, uh, because she absolutely does that. And again, you talk about uh, using your voice to make a difference and making a little bit of money. If Oprah is not the amazing example of someone who has just like been incredibly wildly successful financially, but then also just hugely made a positive impact and a positive difference in a meaningful way in the lives of so many, then, you know, it's, that's just, I think, the best example I can think of. No, it's great. I mean, you and I are such huge fans of, of Oprah. I, you know, I always, I think Oprah raised a whole generation of people and, and she, she certainly raised me because, um, um, you know, I was always going back to school. After school, I would come back and catch a show. But intention, like you say, is something that she's big on. I mean, she has a quote where she says, 
Intention is one with cause and effect. Intention determines outcome. And if you're stuck and not moving forward, you have to check the thought and the action that created the circumstance. And you highlighted how she intentionally used her platform to, you know, to, to, to grow her audience and to, to essentially raise a generation of people, I think it's important. I mean, I think, you know, if you, anyone does research on Oprah, you know, when she first started off, it was a lot of the trashy type of talk show type stuff. And then she started to change the intention of the audience. Uh, she, you know, she talked about, I think after the skinhead episode, not allowing people to use her again and actually wanting to use her media platform to, 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 to make people's lives better, live your best life. You became live your best life TV. And then, um, taking ownership of that was, was, um, while initially not met with, with the warmest of receptions, it's, it certainly changed the game and, and, um, you know, made her stand out even more. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that. I think that that's so key. And I, I saw, I've seen her speak about that as well, where she said, you know, she, she looked at the, the KKK members in her audience and they were giving each other signals and, mm-hmm. you know, clearly were using her platform and that that being sort of the sea change moment for her. And, and then like you, you know, I came up, you know, just really holding her in the highest regard and seeing her sort of evolve right through exactly what you said, you know, that she was at that time of like initially Jerry Springer and Phil Donahue. And so it was a huge step to sort of take a step out and say, no, we're not going to focus on this. And, you know, she wanted to focus on spirituality and on the soul and on spirit. And I, you know, recently actually read one of the books that she talks about, uh, Sacred Contracts by Carolyn Mice. And I think it was just for me, such a game changer. Um, and, and really for her showing up and talking about intentionality, and, and, and she talked about too how she would make her producers when they pitched story ideas provide their intention for the show. So yep. what is your intention for this show, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think like we want to get great ratings and we want to win an Emmy. Then fine, say that, you know, and sometimes that is going to be the, the case. We're not always going to solve world hunger or educate people about the soul, but you know, let's be intentional about what we're doing. And I think you know, sometimes one of the things that she says that really resonates with me is also, I think we all have sort of this true north. So you know what your instinct tells you, you know what your beliefs are, you know what feels right to you. I mean, how many um, billionaires can you think of that were told, you know, the founder of the, 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 the woman who invented Barbie, uh, you know, so many of the Silicon tech giants, you know, were told like, oh no, that's a crazy idea, that would never work. You know, and so it, I think it, it, it's not only having the belief, I mean, obviously you have to have the belief, you have to to manifest it. I love how she talks about when she had Jim Carrey on her show and he talks about how he wrote himself a check for I think it was $10 million at the time and yeah. he used to drive up to Mulholland Drive and, and actually believe like this is going to happen. Like I'm writing this check for, you know, X number of years ahead. And then it came true. He did actually um, have that. And I think for her that, that also just looking at someone having a, a strong belief and, and understanding though that it's not enough, right? In, you know, not being afraid, figuring out what really matters in your life. And then, you know, one of the other things Oprah says is, you know, when your personality comes to serve and align with your personality, that's really when you found your true purpose and you can move forward. And I think the impact can just be amazing. But it is a combination of like really having that strong belief, having that intention, and then combining that with hard work of, like you said, not being stuck and moving forward towards your goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, we could talk about Oprah all day. I mean, that could be a podcast of its own. But um, it, it's it's the element of that is is kind of what I wanted to get at because 
you know, what, what, the the field that you deal with, which is PR, which is media, which is using your influence to uh, to you know to, to make a difference. I, I a lot of questions that I can imagine someone asking is, you know, I've heard you say you can tie this to revenue, but how can I really tie my influence to revenue? You know, how can I even pitch that in the company? How can I do that on my own as a consultant? I mean, it seems like it's just talk, but how can that help my bottom line? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. So I think, you know, so much of it as humans, we are compelled by stories. And for me, at the end of the day, I really did understand and learn that my passion and my gift is storytelling. So I love to work with, you know, brands or people or companies to really understand and package what is your story. And I think, you know, people love stories. We love to be, when you, when you flip back centuries, centuries, you know, the, the story is what was passed down. The narratives of stories are what survived through various centuries and generations and cultures. And so I think that's really the bottom line, the base, the foundation of tying your influence to your revenue is first one, obviously you have to have a story, right? So let's assume for the purposes of this discussion that we're talking about people of substance that have gone out into the world and made a name for themselves and they have a story. So that's, so we're at that point. And then once you have that story, it's just about figuring out how to communicate that in a newsworthy way for your audience. And I think it's very different for different audiences. And, and especially now with so much digital media, it's not back, you know, even 15 years ago, which isn't that long ago, it was a completely different landscape than it is today. Even five, 10 years ago, it was a completely different landscape than it is today. Today, in addition to having all of the mainstream media outlets and your television news outlets and your major daily newspapers, you also have podcasts, you have websites, you have blogs. I mean, there are literally hundreds of thousands of media outlets and opportunities that people can look to as platforms to use their voice to make a difference. But I think the first piece of that is really understanding what your story is. And so that's something I help people work with. It's something that is, that's very individual, but there's principles that you can apply. I'll use my own life as, as an example. Um, is that, you know, for me, my story is that I was a war journalist, that I didn't, you know, it, it's what I did, right? And I think 
connecting with people on a personal level too. What, one of the things my mom always said when I was growing up is that who you are as a person is who you are as a professional. For me, that has rung true, and it's very true in public relations. It's important to be transparent, definitely. And I think it's also important for people, for thought leaders, for influencers to understand in today's society where we are such a hyper-connected digital society and we have Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and LinkedIn and any million number of ways to connect and, and see a digital representation of someone's story, that really weaving a weaving your story and using everything that you bring and everything that you believe into that story about being transparent. It's about being yourself, but it's about understanding how to package yourself in a way that you're relevant and you're connecting with your audience, whoever that audience is. No, no, I, I love it. And I, I think that's, that's the point right there where you're, you're saying it's you're connecting with the audience and the more your audience falls in love with your story, the more they buy into whatever it is your expertise is and how you can help them. Um, and, and it's, it's, hitting that sweet spot. That's exactly it. And I think you also are a perfect example, right? And I think, you know, one thing that uh, Sam Evans, who's a brilliant consultant, you know, I discussed when we were talking about media is, you know, he says, well, you know, PR can't, you know, you, you can't have good PR and, and that's all a bad business. And I completely agree. And that, in fact, is one thing I always say with, I've worked for 15 years at a senior level in government advising on, very complicated and controversial communications issues for the Environmental Protection Agency and the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And one thing I always say is that good press can't spend bad policy. So if you have, you know, if you're just a bad person, right, if you're out there, you know, cursing people out and doing, you know, horrible things, well, you know, Anthony Weiner, unfortunately, is a perfect example. Uh, you know, he was really talented. He had a lot going for him. Um, but he has, you know, he did some things in the media that, you know, you can't, you can't just spin that away. And so I think, you know, ultimately, you know, when you, when you look at all of this, it is about being an authentic person. And like you said, yes, if, if you are authentic and showing up in that meaningful way, and like Sam says, you're actually one of the best at what you do. So for you, you know, you have this experience that you bring to people to help them facilitate cultural exchange and cultural understanding. And you're amazing at it. And you understand it in such a true and authentic, meaningful way. And so I think, you know, I think we have to remember that we're not talking about, you know, you, you have to have that piece of it too, right? So you actually do have to be really great at what you do. And then, and I think a lot of times too, going back to what we were saying earlier, a lot of that has to do with connecting with your purpose, right? So if you're working and serving in a capacity that you're meant to be serving in, that's naturally going to flow out of you. And then I think having showing up authentically in a way where you are stepping into the spotlight is something that can just be remarkable for your business. But I also, I'm, I'm always surprised. And I think because for myself, I have always been in positions where I've been in the spotlight on television, on radio, you know, having to be in front of the camera. I, you know, that's naturally where I do generally feel comfortable, but even for me, sometimes I can feel uncomfortable pushing to a next level of exposure. And I see that a lot with people that I think for a lot of people, there is absolutely a fear of stepping into the spotlight or saying something uh, because especially in this society that we live in, that is so digitally connected. I always do a, what I call a worst case scenario analysis. And I always know. 
with your being disruptive with thought leadership, there are going to be people who disagree with you and they are going to be vocal. And sometimes they are going to be mean. And internet trolls are a thing. So you also have to understand that when you step out there, you may subject yourself to some of that, but you just have to be prepared to, to deal with it and to not let it impact you in an emotional way. No, that's, uh, that's really key. And, and, and you know, yeah, I think that's that's a reality that we have to deal with. Trolls being one of them. And uh, I was telling my friend, I was telling my friends uh, the other day that the the video that I've done that's gotten the most um, uh, comments uh, on YouTube was was a video I did on, on feminism because uh, I usually describe myself as that. And it was Gender Equality Day, and I had a lot of of, of men uh, and, and people reach out to me, and, and some women, interestingly, but they all commented. You know, I got death threats and stuff like that. I was like. But I was telling my brother, my mom was horrified, but I was telling my brother and my mom, like, this, this is, like, this means I got attention to someone else. And they didn't see it that way. But I, yes. I, I wore it as like this badge that's, of honor. That's exactly why I see it. Yeah. Yes. No, that's, and that's such a perfect example. I yeah. think, you know, it, a lot of the time when I tell people is, you know, when you're thinking about your story and, you know, getting any, you know, just strategically getting media exposure, a, a huge part of it is, this the idea of thought leadership that is disruptive, right? So if you're saying everything that everyone has already said, and it's not, you know, something just by definition, it's not really that newsworthy. It's when you step out with these ideas that make people really think and make people stop. And it's disruptive to our thought process. And it's disruptive to the way things have always been done. I think that's when you really have an opportunity to strategically attract media exposure, um, you know, on a much larger scale. So no, that's such a perfect example. I, I love that. And it, personally for me, I, you know, because I strategically will devise, you know, I'll know before I got with something the worst case scenario is going to be. And so I'll be prepared for it. And when I have that reaction, I mean, granted, you know, death threats are never fun, but I love it. I'm like, yes, because if they are, you know, if I have people hating it and loving it, then I know it's going to, you know, it's going to stay longer in, in the news cycle. And I know that it's attracting a lot of attention. Um, so that's actually, I think, a really, really great point that you make. Exactly. Exactly. And, and um, while we're on it, I mean, we're going to wrap up soon, but I, I want you to talk about, we've been talking about media exposure for the last few minutes. What are the best ways to strategically get media exposure? I think it's really important that you first define your story and then beyond that, that you define your outcome goals. I think too many people don't define their outcome goals, right? And I always joke and say, listen, we don't go on TV to look pretty. Like we go on TV to share thought leadership, to spread an idea, or to strategically attract business and revenue and raise our profile for additional clients. And so I think you really have to have an outcome goal in mind is, you know, what is your goal? Are you wanting to share an idea? Are you wanting to simply attract clients? Are you wanting to increase your revenue? I think that you have to define the goal first, because if you don't define the goal, you're just sort of scattered in the wind and you're, you're doing things, but you're not really strategically understanding what you need to be doing to attract the type of media exposure that's going to move you closer to your goal. So for some people, the goal might be just to be a featured guest on a television cable news show. For some people, the goal might be to become a contributor for a publication where their ideal avatar clients or you know people that they want to reach are, are listening and, and watching and reading. For some people, 
people. It might be to host a podcast. I think these are all going to be very, very different depending on what that outcome goal is. And too many people don't define the outcome goal first. And so then they just do all of these things and it doesn't really move the needle. And then they don't understand why they're not seeing a bigger response in what they're doing. And I would say that that's why the goal from the start is so important because once you define the goal from the start, then you can strategically work backwards and do the things that are going to help you to get to that point much more quickly. And I also think it's very important to understand the difference between digital marketing and traditional media and PR. And so digital marketing is hugely important. Um, and so, for instance, Ryan Dice, he's right now is one of the gold standards of talking about digital marketing and giving people, you know, actionable steps to, to, to implement. Um, but digital marketing is essentially paid advertising. There's an old saying that advertising is what you pay for and publicity is what you pray for. And I think that is very true, but most people, unless you've been a journalist or we do have a very blurred line between what we used to traditionally consider journalism and PR and media. And now, you know, so many other things, everything from clickbait to fake news to, you know, forums that look and sound exactly like, you know, radio shows like podcasts, for instance, and like, you know, YouTube channels, you know, so there's just this, and, and even when you look at cable news and you look at infotainment, there's just so, so much out there that it can be hard if you don't have a degree in journalism to really understand those, those nuanced differences. And I don't think that business owners need to understand all of it, but they do need guidance, I think, to make sure that they don't make some, some serious mishaps. Um, because definitely, even for editorial uh, news coverage, there is a diff- there's a basically what's a standard standard of newsworthiness. And for um, for instance, recently I came I stumbled across uh, a friend sent me a a site of uh, a really ambitious 19 uh, year old digital marketer who was uh, on his website advertising for ten thousand dollars. He would place you in Huffington Post, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, and Inc. And, you know, I think he just didn't know. He didn't know that what he was doing is like massively illegal. And so I reached out to him. I, was, I spoke with many of the editors that I know at those various publications. And, and you know, when I, I interviewed him for a story on what he had done, and he, uh, one thing I tell people, you know, as a journalist and, and as somebody who does a lot of media training, is that when a journalist reached out, reaches out to you for a story, the first thing you should do is put them on hold and prepare or say, you know, I'm busy, send me the information, I'll call you back. Once you've had a chance to, to look it over. Um, and so he didn't do that. He just jumped right into the interview with me. And I asked him, I said, so what are the rules governing the ethics and, uh, you know, just general ethical and moral, moral guidelines governing advertising and editorial content that you're familiar with? And his response was, was we were doing this via Facebook Messenger with the interview. His response was, LOL, what rules? <laughs> Question oh. mark. And so, you know, and I told, I told I said, listen, so I, you know, the, the story is coming out. I haven't published it yet. And I'm, I'm going to be fair to him. And I don't want to use his full name in the um, in the story because I think he's, a, you know, he's a 19-year-old guy that has a lot of promise and is really ambitious and is doing cool things. And I think he just didn't know, right, because you don't know what you don't know. But it's a really good illustration of why certainly media training is so important. And when you, I think a lot of people are so focused on just, they don't really take the time to properly prepare and strategically understand what they need to be saying specific to their own outcome goals. So first defining what that outcome goal is and then understanding how do you tell your story in a way 
when it's news, nobody wants to be sold to. So how do you tell your story in a way where you're not selling to people, but you're really sharing information, ultimately in business. One of the business women uh, who's actually, she, she owns, uh, she's founded, I think, 10 companies that she started from zero and grew to seven-figure companies. And her name is Allison Maslin. Uh, and one of the things she says is like, how do you make a million dollars? You help a million people, right? And so, you know, she really comes from this place of, how helping people is so critical and and really that's what we're all in business to do right is to help other people and and she believes in that and, and brings that forward in her work so i think that when you're helping someone and you're you're able to do that in an authentic meaningful and and truly actually helping them way then you're not selling them right and so then the information that you're sharing if they're having aha moments then they see that that you can help them and that's really the difference between pr where you're attracting media attention and press versus digital marketing and digital advertising but at the end of the day the two are huge in terms of pairing together because after you've done excellent pr the first thing that then i turn around and i do is i go and do digital marketing so say you know, I appear on television all the time and, and interviewed on different topics, or I'll do interviews uh, or, or publish pieces on Huffington Post or in, in other uh, forums. And one of the things that I will then do is use digital marketing ta- techniques and tactics to then either use Twitter or Facebook ads or any other million of the mediums that are out there to strategically then do digital marketing and really further promote and propel and push the credible actual news stories that are not sales stories, but that just establish my credibility on these very recognized platforms like Fox, like NBC, like Entrepreneur Magazine. And so I think that's where, you know, it it can seem very complicated and scary, but when you do it right, oh my gosh, the results can be outrageously phenomenal. There you go, Mary Sims. If you want to find out more about how you can get a newsworthy story, embrace your expertise, increase your influence, grow your business, and most importantly, your revenue, she's the person to uh, to reach out to. Where can people find out more about you, Mary? Twitter is the best way. They can follow me on Twitter at Mary Sims with two M's. Um, and there's a link there, too, to the invite-only membership community that we're launching that will offer, instead of spending thousands a month on publicists, super affordable options with live office hours and mastermind groups and all sorts of cool things to get people out there and equipped to really use their voice in a meaningful way to make a difference and also strategically increase their revenue. Love it, love it. And I'll put that in the show notes. But before I let you go, you know, awesome. my mission statement is, is use your difference to make a difference. I know you, you say use your voice. I love that. Yeah, thank you. I know you say use your voice to make a difference. But I want to know how you use your difference to make a difference. Well, that's what I, I, I actually, I don't always say use your voice to make a difference. I said that because I was inspired by you. I said that specifically oh, for this okay. show because oh. I saw your, your, uh, use your difference to make a difference. And so that was when, when we first asked me to come on the show, I said, I think that my difference is my voice. So that's, that is really what I believe in is use my voice to make a difference. And, and that though, I was inspired um, that, that this, this conversation is the first time I've said that uh, it, you know, consciously, I'm sure I've, I've, I've always believed that, but I think, that, you know, using your difference, for me, my difference is my voice, right? So speak, being on stage, being on camera, that's the place where I've always been incredibly comfortable. And I've always 
believed in just the power of stories and the importance of storytelling and the importance of stepping up and, you know, exactly that using your voice to make a difference. But so that was, that was completely inspired by you. Um, that for, for me, I feel like my difference is my voice. And so for me to use that voice to make a difference is what I think is, is so imperative. Well, I, that's the perfect ego boost for me. <laughs> but, um, I know, but you deserve it. It's not. It's it's not just you know. It's not just uh, flattery. It is absolutely true. Well, th- thank you so much, and and I do appreciate all, all the all the tips that you shared today. I think it's um it's necessary. Uh, I think it's something that people haven't really approached in that that way. So uh, I'm excited to get this out there, and I can't wait to to hear what people's thoughts are and um how people get to your your website. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure's mine. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.